All right, first of all, y'all's predictions for this game were about the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> in the hotel today, which y'all picked, and nothing to be more off. Um, just uh, what a great night for um, our players, our, our coaches, our staff, our organization, our university, our state, the city of Columbia. Um, what a night. I mean, I don't even know where to, uh, where to begin, but. Um, all right. Welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast. This is Caleb, Pauline, and Alan all reacting to South Carolina's 63-38 to 38 win over Tennessee, just like we all predicted. Doesn't even make sense, man. <laughs> I was the only uh, one out of the three of us. I'm just letting everybody else know in the universe. You're, you're right. You did before the game. Uh, we were all like, talking in the press box, and Pauline was like, I got a good feeling. And I was like, ah, all right. Good I mean, I, I will say, I was like at the tailgate with some friends or whatever before the game, and some of those other games got weird earlier uh, in the day. Like, you were, you know, Van, Vandy beat you Florida, were saying to me a lot in the press box, it's a weird day. It's a weird day. Yeah. So, um, but a lot of the weirdness didn't really fully pay off, right? Ohio State held on, Michigan held on, TCU won in the last minute. Um, But all of that added up to, I guess, South Carolina getting to fully (laughs) um, expose the weird juju of the day. Um, Yeah, I mean, let's kind of get into analyzing this one. I've been trying to decide how much from Saturday night you can actually take forward or is it just like one of those perfect moments where everything came together the stars aligned it'll never happen that way again you know i i just i don't know um i guess maybe one of the i mean the first place to start is the offense where where has that offense been all season who was called <laughs> who was calling the place satterfield was calling the place by the way let's uh, go ahead and nip that in the bud um i don't know why it was even a question they said that they gave satterfield a game ball after the game uh if you, I watched the replay yesterday. It's pretty clear that he's got the headset on, doing his thing like normal. Um, but if those of you that were doubting, uh, Shane Beamer uh, clarified last night that Satterfield called the place, and uh, I don't know what that means for him long term or anything. But yeah, what, quick reactions from you guys. What uh, what did you see on Saturday? Does any of it <laughs> track forward at all? It just was ridiculous. I mean, being seeing it like play by play on the field and just all of a sudden the offense decided, you know, this is we kind of have to prove our point now or never. And then I honestly, it was just crazy seeing uh, Spencer actually perform the way he did. Finally, like kind of proving everybody I belong here. This is my team. I thought it was cool. I think that's the whole thing, Spencer. I mean, 30 of 37 passing with six touchdowns. I mean, what in the world was that, man? Like, we're, I mean, there's probably like a dozen NFL caliber throws in that game, right? I mean, the the one to Josh, there's so many, but the one to Josh Van, the first touchdown to Van, the one that made it 14 7. Good Lord, man. Yeah, so I was I, as I was writing the story after the game, I called it perhaps the best South Carolina QB performance ever. Um, and then in the past few days, I've been trying to decide if that's actually true. So you have Garcia's game versus Bama. Um, 
that was a pretty solid game, but I actually remember from that game, it wasn't perfect. Um, I think Garcia committed a safety where he like threw the ball out of the back of the end zone on one play. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was still an elite performance. I'm not trying to take anything away from it. He was playing out of his mind. Definitely the best game of Garcia's career, but I don't know if it quite measures up to this. I mean, this was perfect. And then I was also thinking about Connor Shaw versus Georgia in 2012. Um, he didn't have to do a ton there, but he started the first half perfect in that game. And then kind of uh, the defense took care of the rest there and they, they were able to kind of coast through the end. Um, so I didn't think that Shaw's quite matched up because, you know, this one was literally like every time, uh, especially in the first half, every time South Carolina scored, Tennessee usually responded. So it was like this pressure that Rattler had to keep keep it going and it just kept going. And the only other like statistical one I could think of was Bentley. Uh, Jake Bentley had 510 yards and five touchdowns versus Clemson uh, back in 2018, 2019. Um, I think it was 2018, but they also lost that game 50 to 32. So I don't think that that one quite measures up. So I, I, I think it might be the best quarterback performance in South Carolina history. That's the most points Tennessee has given up in a, in a game since 1893. Yeah. Uh, second right. most points ever against a top five team. Most ever by an unranked team against a top five team. Representing. I was going to go back to your point, though, because I actually really liked what you were saying about how every time that we would score, uh, Tennessee would basically come right back and kind of kept that pressure on Spencer. I think because of the fact that there wasn't really like a lull in gameplay at all. Like it was always like rapid fire. I got concerned like first part of third quarter when Tennessee scored on us. I got a little bit concerned that they were going to get rattled, but thankfully they didn't. But I totally agree. Like the whole tempo of it was allowing him to, you know, keep on his toes, which I think is a lot of what I hear at practice, at least. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's another... Really... Go ahead. Good. That's interesting, because you think, like, probably Spencer's three best games this year, right? Obviously, Lord, not last night, two nights ago against Tennessee. Vanderbilt was a high-scoring game that ended 38-27, and that was still close throughout. And then there was at Arkansas, where they got down early, and he had to... I think he threw the ball, like, 40 times in that game. Best he's looked all year has been when there hasn't been a lull, when he's just had to go, 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 air the ball out. There's no time to not score. I mean, I was saying to you they had to score every possession to win, and they almost did. But I think it's actually kind of a good point there that the lulls, the Missouri game was the lulliest game of the season, at least mentally, and we saw how that looked. It was a yeah. hard game to sit through. <laughs> and every time that there was pressure, they made it work. Like, you think about the first drive, there was a fourth down on that first drive, fourth and one, that they had an illegal snap penalty that turned it into a fourth and six. We all were kind of like, oh, maybe they're just going to settle for a field goal because I think they were in long field goal range there. No, I'd like um, to say that I was still team go for it the whole way there. Yeah, and they you were. Uh, and they did, and they were successful. Um, and after the game, Shane Beamer said that they were looking at Missouri's game against Tennessee. And I think he said Missouri – uh hunted the ball five times on fourth and five or less and he told uh us the message to the team this week was he's not punting the ball if it's fourth and five or less um and that one was actually fourth and six um and yeah it just everything was working and like you guys said i mean really it's the story is rather was completely 
dialed in that like every time the ball came out of his hand, I was like, that's a perfect pass. I mean, even like there was like three drops, I think, uh, in the game. So what did he have? Five incompletions, seven <laughs> incompletions. Yeah. Seven incompletions. Three of them were drops. Um, two of them were throwaways. So he had like what two true <laughs> incompletions pretty much. Um, it was the most impressive thing I've ever seen in person and from a college quarterback. I mean, and I've seen a lot of, a lot of football. That's a hot yeah. take, but I mean, in agree. person, I mean, I'm not saying it was the best performance in college football history, but I've been to 20 plus college football games and that was the best I've ever seen in person for sure. I've been to a lot in a lot of places. Um, I would, I did see Joe Burrow against Oklahoma in 2019 in the playoff game where he threw seven touchdowns in the first half. I think that probably still beats this, but other than that. Yeah. yeah. So talking as a team though, total, I think that it wasn't, I mean, just Spencer that like, sure. I mean, obviously he did an amazing performance, but I mean, when I was on the field, like Jaheim Bell was pulling out all yep. the stops. He was showing why he needs to be on the field and not on the sidelines. But I think like it was just it was so great to see him on every time that they would be running towards me at the end zone. I would get so excited to see like, oh, I hope that we score. We typically did. <laughs> yeah, uh, they actually they scored a ton of times going into the student section, too, which was pretty nice. I noticed that on the, the broadcast last night when I rewatched it. Um, but yeah, it was truly a team, team effort. And you have to give credit to Marcus Satterfield here if uh, he truly was calling the plays, which it, uh, by all indications from everything that I've heard, uh, both publicly, privately, whatever he was, uh, you know, um, sometimes you just, <laughs> I don't know. Have you guys ever played your pong and you're just like, I can't miss or whatever, like, or you're just uh, on a roll. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it, it can happen to anybody. Um, I don't know what that means for him long-term. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. I mean, if he has a, another great offensive performance against Clemson or can you get rid of him? I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have the creativity of to carry on joiner, uh, had a package on almost every drive. Uh, definitely, you know, the majority of the drives, uh, he had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, he threw a pass to Spencer Rattler. Um, that you was have... a crazy freaking play. Wait, I'm so sorry. I literally look oh, up yeah. from my camera and all of a sudden, like, Spencer's, like, on, like, the right side of the field by, like, the side. I'm like, what? you're supposed to be here. Where are you going? And then, like, I'm... they play that amazing play. And I was like. I'm still pretty positive that they had a double pass set up uh, later in the game. They, did, they didn't get a run because they had another illegal snap penalty because uh, I think that, yeah. was at quarterback. And Rattler took this really big looping uh, reverse um, from the, the student second, or yeah, student from the wide receiver. Night. But then they didn't get to finish the play. But that one looked like it was setting something out. So maybe you'll see that. Uh, maybe you'll see that this Saturday at Clemson. Uh, I he mean, wasn't like Missouri yeah. though, because he. I just think that, like you know, going back to the whole performance wise and like the fast tempo of it, like Missouri, he did that one like awesome play but then he kept running the same play like running the ball instead of you know yeah he had a couple good scrambles that um that first fourth down that converted the fourth well it became fourth and six but that made it fourth and one was with his legs there was a third and six where he kind of scooted to the sideline and picked it up i think you guys know which one i'm talking about i think it was in the second quarter um he used his legs all night gnarly stiff arm there too (laughs) yeah he did yeah he did 
Um, also, how have we gone this far without mentioning Antoine Wells Jr.? Yeah, yeah. I was... so I was actually about to bring him up. 11 catches, 177 yards, a long of 36, which that was that last uh, catch on that last drive where after watching the broadcast, I didn't realize how fired up uh, Beamer was at um, some of the Tennessee players that were talking to the bench. Um, fired up. There was talking. a lot. He was kind of like <laughs> Beamer was talking across the field to the Tennessee sideline. So I don't know if there's some bad blood there before the game. Uh, if maybe the fact that Tennessee blew out South Carolina so bad last year, they're trying to get a little bit of retribution there. But um, I, I I really noticed. I mean, we we even mentioned on that last uh, drive where they scored the last touchdown to go up to to go to 63. I was like, well, I don't know if they needed to do that, but he kind of kept that killer mentality going. Um, and then, yeah, hit Wells on that 35-yard pass there. But going into the season, like, we, we were in a lot of buzz about Antoine Wells uh, in fall practice and kind of like, okay, it's this transfer guy. We'll see if this actually uh, translates into the regular season because, you know, he was at James Madison and he got recruited to James Madison when James Madison was still FCS level. Um, I think Antoine Wells has solidly uh, confirmed that he is a D1 quality, power five quality wide receiver. And honestly, if he keeps this up, he probably is going to be playing on Sundays. I, I, you know what? You know what the craziest thing was like, and this, I guess, again, this is just the mark of a good receiver. He was just always open. And I know Tennessee secondary is bad, whatever we can. That was kind of their weakness even coming into the game. Like, I think probably the biggest play, it's funny, I was, I'll shout out Ben Portnoy and Emily Adams here, we were walking back to the cars late last night, we we were talking like, okay, when did you know they were going to win the game? And my answer was the third and 20, last play of the third quarter, still a two-possession game at this point, third and 20, Eric Douglas is out hurt, so the offensive line's kind of shaky, you got Hank Manos, by the way, did a good job filling in at center there, we should mention him too. Third and 20, Rattler to Wells, 25 yards, first down, last play of the third quarter. I think after that, I was like, all right, they're about to score here to go up three scores. And um, that's that was what I knew in that third third and 20 to Wells, they're going to win this football game. I don't know if you guys have an answer to that. It's not on, the, it's not on our dock, but. Mine was yeah. in the beginning, so. Beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably go with the. The same answer that Shane Beamer gave after the game, which was when uh, Hinden Hooker fumbled and went out of the game or whatever. Uh, but that's because I am a self-loathing, you know, lifelong Gamecock fan. So I have seen the wheels fall off um, in games that seemed like they were in hand. Um, so that was when I was finally like, okay, like they just lost their starting quarterback. And Prayers up for Hendon, by the way. That sucks. He's had such a good year. A torn ACL, if anyone didn't see out there. That that sucks. Yeah. And just a freak thing, too. I mean, you, you go back and watch that replay and he just took a weird step and yep. uh and then yeah unfortunately also fumbled uh in pain there uh unfortunately for for tennessee i mean um but, yeah uh yeah so you spoke about manos i also want to give a shout out to uh peyton williams who filled in when nick Mori got uh ejected for targeting um he got beat on one uh, touchdown after that that went to Fant, the tight end, um, you know, hit. He was just a little late getting back uh, as as the deepest of the deep uh, on that on that play. But um, otherwise, I thought he played very solid filling in in his first meaningful action as a freshman. And 
you, you start to look at these, these this DB room from the 2022 class. You got Emin Wari, DQ Smith, and then, you know, Peyton Williams, uh, who is looking pretty good too. And then you got a really great DB class coming in in 2023. And even though they're going to be young next year, you seem like uh, Darius Rush and Cam Smith maybe won't be missed quite as much as uh, you you might have been thinking uh, before the season. So it looks like, you know, they're definitely rebuilding in that room pretty quickly. Also, Cam Smith, that's an NFL player. I mean, we knew that going in, but he was incredible on Saturday night. I mean, everybody was. I mean, we're just taking, we're just listing guys who played really well at this point. But like Cam Smith, he really wanted that matchup with Jalen Hyatt, and he pretty much shut him out of the game. They were at each other's like in each other's faces. Like I have some, I have some pictures of them. Just like the I think goes where Shane Beamer's kind of tight at uh, Tennessee is because of the fact that. They were just literally like crap talking or trash talking. <laughs> you, and I it's okay that... to say shit on the podcast. You just can't say it. On <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, uh, Cam Smith out the game. I, so you could tell that uh, he's on his way out or whatever because he didn't really care. He was he was not being politically correct in his answers uh, in the media room after the game. So <laughs> one of the things uh, someone asked him was about the trash talking between him and Jalen High, and he pretty much said Charged there up. wasn't any trash talking because it was there's no trash talking when it's only one way or something like that. So, um, it was so good. It's one of the best comments we've had all year in that room. I have such great himself. pictures of his reactions. Like he has just such an like an expressive like face. It's so funny to see like, and he has his hair like flying up and down, jumping up and down, like all excited. So like and he I'll, was really um, in the game. I'll give him credit too, and maybe this is how we like transition to talking about the defense. But like he did on Tuesday, we had him in availability. He kind of called a shot. He said they're going to catch the ball. We're going to tackle them. We're going to, you know, they're going to get some yards. We're going to make tackles. We're going to knock you up the big play. And Cam Smith said, I like my odds over the top against Hyatt. You know, underneath stuff, fine, but over the top. And he didn't catch a big ball all night. Yeah. So as we've seen throughout the season, South Carolina defense played better in the second half than the first half, but they still did enough in the first half to create a little bit of margin there. Um, and then, yeah, so the Tennessee scored 24 in the first half. Scored 14 in the second half, but really seven in the second half. And in the meaningful minutes, there was the garbage time score at the very end. Um, <laughs> another fun Smith quote, uh, he was asked about the halftime adjustments, and he said, there were none, just drop your nuts or whatever he said. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fair enough. Uh, whatever. Yeah, they, they uh, just sort of stepped up, as, according to Cam Smith. They didn't change anything. They just started playing better. Um, so, yeah, I mean – not much else to say. Clayton White is the master of halftime adjustments. You still would hope to see it a little bit more extent in the first half uh, in these games, but didn't need it tonight because the offense was unstoppable. Yeah, you know, even with the first half, though, like Tennessee is still the number one offense in America in total yards a game. Like they're going to score. Like you're not going to, I mean, they, I saw, I mean, they gave up 24 in the first half. That's technically the same numbers they gave up at Florida, but you had a couple stops in there. Uh, Tonka Hemingway had a big sack um, that kind of killed a Tennessee drive. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, Rush played really well. Marcellus Dial, they both got game balls from Beamer last night. Um, 
You forced a field goal attempt in the red zone that was immediately after Eamon Worry's targeting. I thought that was a big momentum shift. Um, yeah, that was Cam Smith came up and made a big. That was the chop down play. He like kind of chopped the guy down on that third third down pass in the flat. Yeah. Birch had a fumble recovery, and mm-hmm. Birch had a sack, or, or not a sack, he had a tackle for a loss on fourth and three to stop another drive. Yeah, um, yeah. no, it's again, it's Tennessee. They're going to score a lot of points. I think even really good defense, maybe except Georgia, but I mean, Missouri's defense is really good. They gave up 66 to Tennessee. Like, there's no shame in giving up 38 points to that offense, I don't think, um, even if they might not look at it that way. But, um, yeah, they did enough to win. They forced a turnover, and I don't think you can ask for much. Realistically, if I told you before the game, Tennessee scored 38, you probably would have taken that, right? Yeah. I mean, you just would have assumed it was like a 38 to 20 final score, not right. 63 to 28. Uh, I mean, 63 to 38. Um, yeah. So another thing that I thought was interesting, you tweeted about this last week, and then it, we added another game to the list. So SEC schedule is over now. This is how it went for South Carolina. Uh, they did not. They were not involved in a lead change in any SEC game throughout this year. And again, this is something that you tweeted about last week before this game. So at Arkansas, they were down seven, never led. Uh, Georgia down seven nothing, never led. Kentucky up seven nothing. A&M up seven nothing, never trailed in either of those games. Mizzou down seven, never led. Bandy up seven, never trailed. Uh, UF. Uh, Florida down seven, never led, and then Tennessee up seven, never trailed. Tennessee did tie it briefly um, at seven seven, but yeah. So you have these completely bipolar starts, and when you start leading the game, you held the lead throughout the whole season. When you start behind, you never caught up throughout the whole season. Um, that is something that they're going to have to figure out: is how to adjust when things don't go perfectly at the beginning but it seems like when things do go perfectly they can ride that wave yeah like if clemson goes up seven nothing is the game just over saturday like is that what we're like I, I mean i don't think it is but like i don't know what to do with that status thought it was i just kind of started thinking about it like i thought that was interesting i don't know what it means big picture but like i don't think i've they've never done that before in sec play south carolina that's the first time um i don't know what it means but i can't think of it it's just a weird weird stat before I, because I'm gonna have to dip soon. I wanted to just highlight the fact that it was senior night, and yep. I am being a senior. I can, I can't actually relate. I'm not a football player, but that was the best um, performance and just game to even attend to. Will for like Willie B, my last time. I couldn't have a better memory. I guess at least no, we got to talk about the field storming too before you go because you were actually on the field. Yes. <laughs> That was a lot. <laughs> I think so give us a before I touch sense. on that, yeah. before I touch on that, because I will, I when they uh, when the students started throwing the water bottles on the field or whatever they were throwing on the field, and the announcers was like, "Y'all better stop or fifteen yard penalty," and then all of a sudden the student section just went silent they're like we are not risking this at all and that's um, actually yeah respect to that the drug students to actually have the, uh, <laughs> the awareness enough to to cut it out uh once the penalty was threatened and they only said like don't storm the field twice i think they knew damn well that the kids are gonna <laughs> there was no stopping them at all i honestly don't think i saw because i remember um 
the Texas A&M game. I saw a couple kids with uh, getting walked out, escorted out by the officers for being rowdier. I did not see anyone. I don't. I think they gave up. I got some crazy pictures of the field, and the whole thing is just gamecock like garnet. It's just garnet and gamecocks. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's like the real sandstorm or the original sandstorm. There's like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter and I kind of tapped out and I was like, look, <laughs> and the the whole student section starts like slowing just... <laughs> down to the edges. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, th- I think at that point, security was like, we are not going to stop that. So let's just kind of stay out of the way. Tennessee so they had really their moment. Yeah. We have our moment now. They got their yeah. field, their field post, whatever. <laughs> and it was funny I got hearing a bush. from the... It was funny hearing from the players after the game because they all were kind of like, it was really like memorable and fun, but it was also a little bit scary. <laughs> They're like, I couldn't move throughout the whole thing. I would literally, <laughs> my heart would be pounding. I would just be like, everything is on the line right now. So, I mean, props to them. I couldn't tell who it was, but we did see one Tennessee player got kind of stuck in the middle. He didn't quite get off the field in time. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I don't know who it was. Just trampled. Maybe I can spot him, like, where's Waldo? Where's the one Tennessee player in the (laughs) sea of Gamecocks? Um, But, yeah, I'm really glad that for senior night, for the last home game of your senior year as well, um, you got to experience that. My – Wife was at the game. She's not really a college football junkie. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm glad you finally got to see this too, because this is what it's all about. This is why I am in love with this sport. This is why I uh, am building a career around this sport is like nights like this, like this sort of stuff happens. College football is a crazy, (laughs) crazy, crazy thing. Um, So I'm really glad that you got to experience that from field level and that we all got to experience that. I think we'll we'll remember this that night forever for sure. That's that's what I wrote. I mean, that's what I tried to write about. Just that's one of those nights. That's 2010 Bama. That's the Sandstorm game. That's you were at when the they put the losing streak in 2000. <laughs> yeah, uh, do that one. That's a good comparison, at least. Yeah, that's the 2019 Georgia game. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Georgia game. Well, Georgia I was just thinking game. of games in Columbia, but yeah, that one too. Um, you were at the game, Caleb, I think you've said in 2000 when they broke the losing streak. It This is one of those nights. That's kind of what I tried to write about. But, yeah. Yeah, when I was there uh, in 2000, I was 10 years old or whatever. But uh, when they beat New Mexico State, they tore down the goalposts, like the old school. Um, Spencer Rattler after the game was like, did they tear down the goalposts? Uh, like, oh, sorry, they've they've installed retractable ones now. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. <laughs> Um, That's so funny that he asked. <laughs> which I understand why. I mean, it, it gets pretty dangerous when those things fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's stuff, a big... But, <laughs> but it would have Sometimes they end up at the bottom of the river like they did in Knoxville. That's the thing. They paraded through five points uh, that night in 2000. So I assume that's what would have happened. That's if cool. We could have gotten to them. But, <laughs> um, well, but yeah. It on was... that note, right. I'm going to have to dance. But. <laughs> I'll have the pictures up on Rivals Media or on the thing, hopefully by the end of today. So they'll all be up. You can see all the amazing reactions from the players and the field and the experience, I guess. Yeah, those will be on GamecocksCoop.com and we'll post that gallery. So definitely look out for that. Thanks for joining us, Pauline. Uh, Alan and I are going to talk a bit more about this game and kind of what it means for the future. And then we'll 
preview Clemson a little bit uh, and then kind of get going. So we talked briefly about the Satterfield problem. <laughs> uh, like assuming that everything is up, legit up and up, this was Satterfield's game plan. Uh, this was him calling every play right, like whatever. Uh, I mean, it looked like the same offense to me. It just looked like everything worked <laughs> instead of, uh, and, and also another, another place where I want to give credit. Um, I saw that they shifted and I wrote about this in my rapid reaction on GameCocksGroup.com. I saw that they shifted the pass protection. Granted the o line just played a really great game better than they've played probably all year. Um, but also on some obvious passing downs, third and longs, even a couple like second and longs that they got behind the chains on. Um, they brought Nate Atkins into the backfield uh, as uh, the running back, but, but obviously they weren't going to hand him the ball. Um, but I thought that that made a big difference on him, who is an elite uh, blocker from that tight end position, to uh, get anything that kind of squirted through and, and gave Rattler those kept those couple of extra seconds to find the open guy. And then I felt like once Rattler, Rattler got into a rhythm, which he hasn't had an opportunity to do very often, um, he just started feeling himself and everything was working from there. But uh, yeah, Satterfield, if he did this and he somehow has an excellent offensive game against Clemson, what do you do? Because we kind of thought he was gone. Where It, it felt like he was definitely gone uh, after that Florida game. Is there any way that you can get rid of him if you beat two top teams in the season and the offense looks pretty good in doing so? I mean, I still think you can because it's a, I was going to say a 12-game sample size, but really it'd be a 25-game sample size at that point, taking right. last season's games too. Um, I don't necessarily think it's smart to kind of pivot a direction or a mindset or a whatever decision you were going to make before Tennessee should still be your decision now because a one data point shouldn't cancel out the other 23. Um, and I don't know what that decision would have been. I think, I think we have an idea what it was going to be, but one data point shouldn't cancel out the rest of them. Even though that was the most unbelievable, explosive, incredible data point you probably could have possibly imagined. Um, if they go to Clemson and score 50 or something, I mean, which that's, I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, I still think you probably need to make a change. But at that point, I think you'd be more on the table where, like, whatever, just run it back. Well, I mean, you think preseason, right? You If you if you somehow beat Clemson, right, you're 8-4. and four. Yeah. Uh, You beat A&M, who you've never beat before. You broke the losing streak to Kentucky. You, and you, then you beat two ten, top 10 teams in Tennessee and Clemson. Now, obviously, you're going to think what could have been because you lost to a team you're better than, probably Missouri. And then Florida, I mean, they just lost to Vandy. They've had an up-and-down season um, that still looks like it should have been a winnable game, and you got completely just plastered in that one. Um, yeah, it's 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 a tough call. Um I, I agree you can't get caught up in the emotion, the feel-good uh, of this um, because, like I said at the top of the show, sometimes you just, like, catch the rhythm, right? Sometimes you uh, throw, you know, a basketball over your shoulder and it goes in the hoop, you know, and can you necessarily say you're good at basketball uh, because that <laughs> happens? I don't know. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I am interested to see what happens this week. I don't, I don't know what you do if they somehow score 30 plus and beat Clemson 30 plus on offense and and beat Clemson. Uh, I think things get really interesting there. Um, but by all indications, I think based on what I've heard, he's not going to be back, but. I mean, I've heard similar, but I was hearing it before Tennessee. So right, right, exactly. Ah, uh, yeah, I haven't heard any updates since then, other than what Beamer said publicly. So, I mean, it's rivalry um, week now. Like, it's I think it's all it's kind of all got to be about you, you know. There's a lot of this is kind of the other thing too. Like, there's a lot of off season stuff. There's big picture stuff. I wrote about it being one of the greatest games ever. It's rivalry week now, and I think your mind, your attention, and the teams gonna have to find a way to kind of come down because. You know, last year they had, I think we forget, they had a big emotional win, not quite like this, but to get boy eligible against Auburn, week 12, I guess that'd be week 12, game 11, and then they came out flat against Clemson the next week. Um, yeah, there was some optimism going into that Clemson game, especially at home last year um, after the way that you finish the season, and then, yeah, you get shut out 30 to nothing. So um, I don't know that how much we can take from this week to next week except for Maybe they figured something out because what I saw on offense that that was different this last week than the rest of the season, other than obviously the result, um, was there was a lot less like checking at the line. Uh, they just kind of lined up and did it. Um, and it's yeah, they just kind of uh, if you uh, ask Antoine Wells after the game, right? Uh, they were like, "Well, what happened?" And he said, "Sat sat said effort, go play ball." And it's like, okay, what does that mean? That they just simplified things and was like, get the ball to your playmakers? Because that's what we've been saying all season. Um, so if he figured something out, if he figured out like, okay, this is my offense, but this is how to run it at the college level, not try to make it a professional, you know, 10 different things going on in every play sort of offense, then maybe that's rep- replicatable. That's I'm um, replicable. replicable. Yeah, replicable. Maybe that's replicable. Um, I guess we'll find out next week. So let's really quickly talk a little bit uh, about Clemson. How do you see this matchup playing out? So South Carolina opened as a 16-point underdog. So obviously Vegas doesn't have too much stock in what just happened on Saturday night. They don't seem like it's going to happen again in Death Valley. Um, what do you, do you think about and how they match up with South Carolina? I think really where, where this kind of comes down more than anything is okay. Tennessee's defensive line is good. I think they, I think we shouldn't overlook that. They've, they've got a couple good pass rushers. They've, you know, their defense struggles because their secondary has not been good this year. Um, I think they were like 124th in pass defense coming into the game. It's not Clemson's Z line. Clemson's Z line is maybe the best in America outside of Georgia's, maybe the best period. Um, I know they've kind of had some shaky games this year. They got in a shootout against Wake. Um, they kind of got in a shootout at Florida State too. Um, that defensive line is still the best one South Carolina will have seen definitely since Georgia. Um, I think it all starts with the offensive line and kind of that pass blocking you were talking about too. Um, I don't think Clemson's offense is equipped to even do what Tennessee did. I kind of think Clemson scores in the high twenties, low thirties, but I'm not super sure if South Carolina's pass protection holds up the way it did last week. Yeah, it's a winnable game, but that's a huge ask against Clemson. Another question would be whether or not you have a true running back, although Jaheim Bell played a great game on uh, Saturday night. Um, but, yeah, so do you have Marshawn Lloyd or Christian Beal-Smith? 
they're both questionable right now. Um, Shane Beamer kind of said that he, every week on Sunday, he's kind of thought that they would be good by the next weekend for the last three weeks. And that hasn't been the case. So we're kind of exactly where we've been. We don't, we don't know anything, um, but he wasn't ready to say they're shut down for the season or anything either. Uh, but yeah, if you have Lloyd, that could be a nice change of pace. As long as that doesn't make you shut down all that creativity that you just came up with without him. Um, I think it has to be a mix of the two because we did see whenever he was rightfully, you know, getting 20, 25 carries a game that the offense only, you know, it's, it's, it's I can't, I can't remember if I said this to you or to someone else in the press box, but like they didn't have the Lloyd for four yards, fall forward safety net. So they kind of had to get different with stuff. Um, and obviously you saw what happened. I can't remember if I said that to you or someone else, but. Right. But that, I mean, that's been the case for three weeks and it's only worked for one. <laughs> well, two um, out of three. I mean, it, well, yeah. it's like three and a half because he got hurt in the second quarter against Missouri and they didn't score in the second half of that game. Um, right. And then Vanderbilt good, Florida bad, Tennessee good. So. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the offense that we saw on Saturday looked a lot like the offense that they brought to Nashville. Um and you just didn't expect it to work against a team like Tennessee, uh, the way that it worked against Vanderbilt worked even better though. So, um, yeah, I think that this uh, will obviously have a ton of preview material on Clemson over the next few days. I'm going to do a top five, um, South Carolina versus Clemson games. And then we'll look into, uh, the 2022 matchup. Uh, obviously Clemson seemed to have, jolted themselves awake a little bit after they got beat by Notre Dame. They've certainly played a lot better since then, but also the, the quality of competitions gone down a little since then. Um, I think 16 points is a lot of points. If you gave me those points right now, I might take South Carolina in the points, but I don't know that I could take South Carolina to win outright. But also at this point, I have no idea what this team is. <laughs> um, are they the team that got, blown out and scored zero offensive points in Hinesville, or are they the team that just scored 63 at home? Uh, obviously, they're probably somewhere in between, um, but which one shows up on Saturday? Yeah, that's it is truth lies in the middle, but like, I don't know. Again, I, I don't think Clemson's offense is equipped to score 40 or 50 points or whatever. You know, I said to you that they had to score 50 to win this game. I guess it ended up being they would have had to score – 39 to win this game, but still I don't expect Clemson to get there. Um, Again, I think if you get to 30 in this game, I think you have to feel pretty good about it, but that's, again, that's a huge ask against one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah, definitely. So, Uh, and also Clemson has not lost in death Valley since 2016. 40 in a row. Yep. It's the eighth longest home winning streak in college football history. So that would be a pretty sweet, uh, way to snap the streak, but um, you can't, you certainly can't count on that uh, at the moment. Um, otherwise, this weekend, the men's basketball team. Oh, right. Other did, sports. Yeah. Did the one thing that we said they pretty much couldn't do to uh, show some signs of life after uh, that rough um, start to the tournament. They went over uh, in the tournament. So they lost to Colorado State, to Davidson and to Furman and really did not look particularly good uh, against any of those teams. Um, but, and we'll talk about that. I don't want to, this has been a happy show. So we'll talk about that more uh, later in the week. 
Uh, but this one more happy note, uh, the women's basketball team came from behind really like ridiculous game. Uh, I think you said that they were, they were trailing for 38 minutes of the 40 minute game. Uh, Aaliyah Boston ties it up, sends it into overtime, and then they're able to uh, foul out. Um, what's Cam Brink. Yeah, Brink from Stanford. Boston also fouled out a couple minutes later, but at that point the damage had been done and they were able to outlast them in Stanford in overtime there. So really incredible game. Great start to the season for South Carolina, and I have a feeling those teams are going to see each other again. Unbelievable. I mean, they, South Carolina took a 2-0 lead, first bucket of the game, and they didn't lead again until overtime. I mean, they, they trailed the entire game. Just there was no point in that game I thought they were going to – you were thinking, all right, it's fine. You lose a road game against number two. They played pretty well. They hung in, like whatever. There was no point in that game I thought they were going to win until they got it to overtime. And they just somehow – these are the games that Dawn Staley's just made a habit of finding a way. To, they just found a way to win. I think that's probably the biggest thing you take from that, the – Aaliyah Boston got in foul trouble. She only played six minutes the entire first half. The bench kept him in the game. Um, just incredible. They just found a way to win on the road against number two team in the country when they didn't play anywhere close to the best they can. Well, there's a little poetry there, too, in, in Boston making that shot at the yep. last second to uh, tie it after what happened in 2021 in the Final Four. But they lose uh, at the last minute on a shot that she couldn't get to fall. Um, they they showed her crying again though. I, I guess ESPN loves. Yeah, I didn't like that. Um, but yeah, after she found out, she was frustrated that she couldn't be out there. I think, but um, I mean, at that point, she was already the player of the game and already had uh, extended the lead enough in overtime that they were able to hold on there. But uh, yeah, and I think also this game ended on Stanford calling timeout without one left. That's just a yeah. of all the ways that could have ended. I mean, they had the ball down too. They had a chance to tie the game and force double overtime. And then they got a technical foul. Yeah, that is something that you need to look for uh, going forward. South Carolina had four opportunities to make a foul shot and kind of put it to bed uh, yep. in the last minute of overtime and, and missed them all. Uh, so definitely need to clean that up a little bit, uh, be a little bit more clutch in those moments. But, um, I mean, incredible comeback. They were down by 10 in the fourth quarter and made it work. So, Yeah, they're going to hit a little lull now in the non-con schedule. That was kind of the – Tough game, I guess. They're going to play, I think it's Cal Poly and Hampton the next two. Um, I think they have UCLA coming to Columbia next week. That's at least a Power 5 opponent. But it's going to get um, – that was the hurdle for non-con at least, at least till UConn in February. Um, I think you're going to – it's kind of interesting to see where it goes from here, how you kind of just go off a game like that into games where obviously your competition's way, way, way down. Um, all right, we'll, we'll have coverage of the women's games and the men's game this week. They're playing USC Upstate on Friday. Friday, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely have all of that on GameCockScoop.com. We will have some more review of the Tennessee game. I know that Perry McCarty is going to do his little coaches. What's it called? Coach's Corner. Yeah. I think someone else calls it that. I don't know. Coaches something. Uh, where he's going to analyze some of the film on uh, – the game from the other night. He just put up his players of the game this morning. Um, unsurprisingly, Rattlers is the number one, but there's several people that got shout outs in this game. Um, and then as we head into the weekend, we will continue to preview Clemson. We'll be back here on Thursday to preview Clemson on the podcast. And we're doing a Thanksgiving podcast. 
Oh, will we do it on Thursday? Probably do it on Friday. Uh, yeah, we'll do it on Friday morning if 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 you're able to. I think I can. Friday or Wednesday. I feel like Thursday probably not, but we'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Either way, you'll see us go live and we'll post this to all the normal podcast places that we do. Until next time, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. See ya.